This episode contains language and content of an explicit nature. Listener discretion is advised. Before a song is released, a record is produced, or a chorus is written, the musicians that write them think a lot. They live a lot, and they feel a lot. Before the chorus dives into the stories and experiences that shape these artists, and ultimately, the music we hear. I'm your host, Sophia Lopercaro, and this episode's guest is Curtis Waters. Welcome to the Before the Chorus podcast with me, Sophia Lopercaro. I'm really excited to share this one with you. One of the things that's really fun about doing this podcast is that even though I get to interview some artists that I've loved for a long time and that I've known about for a long time, I also get to discover a lot of new music. You know, part of the the trade of, you know, being a professional interviewer requires or involves me getting a lot of emails sent from labels, from music PR, from artists themselves, management, you name it. And, you know, I spent a lot of time combing through my inbox and listening to all the new music that people send me. And when I got sent Curtis Waters' music, I was really, really impressed. His new album, Bad Sun, is such an incredible examination on a lot of things, frankly. I mean, Curtis speaks very openly about having bipolar disorder. He speaks very openly about his experience as an immigrant from Nepal who's lived in both Canada and the United States. And then also the sort of contrast of, you know, his career blowing up very suddenly. He had a, a hit of his go viral, I think a couple of years ago. And, you know, like, that sort of sudden fame can have a really interesting impact on people. And a lot of this record deals with navigating the sort of ego that can come with that. Also dealing with having to sort of protect yourself from other people and the way that that concept along with one's ego can interact. It's just... It's a really cool exploration. And also, you know, as much as I know people hate saying like, oh, you're so wise for your young age or anything. And and I never want it to sound like it's like, you know, like you're tapping like a little someone younger than you on the head condescendingly, because I think it's quite the opposite. I'm amazed that someone who is in their early 20s, Curtis is 21, already has the sort of depth and emotional maturity that takes other people years to get to, that he's so self-aware, he's so incredible at examining the way that all of these parts of his life interact, and it really is just so impressive. Also, the record just sounds incredible. It's, I mean, you're gonna get to see if you go listen to it, which I implore you to do if you haven't already. It's just sonically so cool. It's modern. It's refreshing. It appeals to a young generation, but it's really, you know, pushing boundaries of production and doing things that are really cool as well. It's that kind of happy medium. Lastly, this record really made me think a lot about the importance of shock in art and sort of provoking through things that are a little more challenging. There's a character that Curtis takes on in this record that we're going to talk a lot about called the himbo. And this this character is like rude and braggadocious and 
kind of sexist even. And on a surface level, when you first see that, it might, you know, rub you a weird way. But what's its purpose is to kind of force you to come closer and examine, you know, the sort of worst case scenario of what people can become when their egos go unchecked. And because of that, I think it's a really important part of this record. And I'm a big believer that if shock is done right, and it's done not to, you know, just for the sake of provoking people, you know, pointlessly or to kick up trauma or anything like that, if it's done in a way that is, you know, like it's done on this record, it kind of helps you to get pulled in closer and really closely examine what he's trying to get you to see. So once again, I'm so impressed with this record. I loved this conversation that I got to have with Curtis. I was so impressed by him as a person, him as an artist, and I'm excited for you to get to hear from him. So without further ado, this is my conversation with Curtis Waters. Because of just the the stories in this record, I kind of decided to go through things in order. Mm-hmm. Not exactly track by track, but kind of still following yeah. like, the through line because mm-hmm. I just feel like that really works. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like, I mean, obviously starting with the opening track, Inner Child. Um, and How would I say this? Later, I mean, I know later in the album, there's these kind of personas that come up and these kind of more like like hard flexing like mm-hmm. kind of people but i feel like this song really starts with the mask off it's mm-hmm. like really starting with family with yeah. origins with the people that you love yeah yeah would you say that's fair that's fully correct exactly yeah yeah and it's interesting because like it feels like especially because it's called inner child like mm-hmm. i mean you know it's obviously connecting with your family and your own childhood but you can also feel almost like the inner child of your parents and like yeah. the things that they probably miss about their mm-hmm. own childhoods or their own you know stuff because at the end of the day they're yeah. human too yeah yeah, yeah. that's uh, exactly what i was going for i think i i had the well a lot of times when i make an album i know what it's going to be i know the song titles i know the colors before the song is ever even made so i had like maybe like 10 versions of inner child throughout the years and when i made this song i was like oh this is inner child because it's actually not about me at all. You know, when I'm talking about in the song, it's about my mom, it's about my dad. And I think it was the first time I sort of like looked outside of just my own misery and my own growing up and realized it's sort of more universal and your parents are children in a sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I don't know if you're getting to this point in your life now, but it's, it's that moment where, to your point, we realize like our parents are just as complicated yeah. as we are and yeah, they yeah. have their own hurt. They have their own joy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. And they're not gods. Like when you're a kid, you think like they're gods or you think they're like, how could you do this? Blah, blah, blah. And then you, you realize they're like just like you. And I don't know, sometimes like seeing pictures of my parents when they had me, I'm like, oh, they look like me now. And I do not know what I'm doing, yeah. you know, and they had to raise a whole child like, you know, yeah. it's so complicated. And like in a whole other country too, yeah. like it just kind of compounds that already feeling yeah. of like, I have to figure this out to like, I have to figure this yeah, out, yeah. you know? Yeah. Just yeah. traveling, just doing all this shit. Like they were so young, you know, and it's like just having empathy and not seeing them as this like, I don't know, man. I think when you like I, when I was making this album, I had this like thesis, which was like, uh, when you look into my eyes, can you see my inner child? Which is sort of this like guiding sentence when I was making the album. And I think 
it sort of being, ended up being Can You See My Inshallah? And then it sort of ended up being... I don't know if I did it fully right, but I like that you mentioned my parents being the inner child because the whole idea of this was seeing it outside of yourself. You know what I mean? And I'm zooming out. Yeah, which I think can also be good because so much of the body of this record does focus on you specifically. Yeah. And sometimes you have to go into, again, not only your past, but the people that brought you into this world and that have raised you and that are essentially your background Yeah. to kind of understand the base layer. Um, with that, I think it's good to kind of get to the next song. Um, and this one kind of felt a little bit like having to learn how to put on a thick skin mm-hmm. a little bit and also a little bit of like a, not so much an ego death, but kind of like, again, it's like where the mask is starting to come yeah. up. Like this yeah. is, I need to protect myself. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so true. You're getting it so like perfectly right now. This is what I do. I just stare yeah, at it until no, I figure it's it out. It's so cool. Um, you know, I think the first instinct when I was doing the track list was purely based on Sonics where I was like, okay, inner child is so slow and emotional and abstract and there's no whatever. I was like, okay, let's get, let's hit him, hit him with a banger. You know what I mean? But over time you know you'll make a decision and you'll kind of realize the meaning after you make the decision and i didn't even realize this one thing until i did a podcast with my friend dante yesterday where he was like dude i love how star killer comes right after inner child because inner child it's like you're growing up and you're sentimental blah blah blah, and then inner and then you go to star killer you're in the workforce you're an adult you know like and in the video i had this visualizer thing i did in um uh, at the brain death studio here in la i did uh, the whole album as like a movie and there's a whole visualizer. And the beginning of Starkiller, it's just like me with a suit on, with a star mask on in front of this factory, while inner child is like me with my family, you know? Um, and he just made me realize like, oh, that's so cool. I don't know if I intended that, but that makes so much sense. So I'm going to tell people that's what it is. I think I, I've said this a lot of times on this podcast, but like I talk about this idea of like a subconscious yeah. concept album. I mean, this one's very conscious, but sometimes these things sort of fall into yeah. place. It also, I kind of, I'm thinking about this as well. Like, you know, especially when you transition from that like cocoon of family where mm-hmm. it's like everything is a lot more safe and protected, yeah. you know, like, and then it's like the first time that you're thrust into the real world, at least on your own. And it's like, maybe like the first time you get screwed over by yes, someone, for example. Yes, 100%. And that's why, again, the armor starts to yeah. have to come on and you're like, okay, like, fuck you. Like, yeah, yeah. You just like, you want me to be an asshole. I'm going to yeah, be an asshole, like, you know? And also realizing like, you know, when I was a kid, I was like, oh, you have to be so honest. You have to be so naive. You have to so, be so vulnerable, which I still carry to this day. But that shit has fucked me up so bad. Just being purely armorless. You know, and I think when I was making this album, it's so different from my last one in a sense is it, there's armor. Like there's songs like Starkiller where there is armor, where there's songs like Manic Man. At least in the first half, there is this armor. And the vulnerability definitely peaks in and out. But there's like definitely this whole thing with ego and facade that you get more into in like the middle portion of the album. Absolutely. Like that was a big thing that I I put in my notes. Yeah. Just again, especially like we're going to talk about like yeah. the lonely man character, the himbo character yeah, yeah. who really are like the epitome of that mask, you yeah. know? Dude, um, that's so cool that you like see it for what it is. I really appreciate that. My pleasure. Again, this is why I like to nerd out about this yeah, stuff. Yeah. This is literally the whole point of the podcast. Yeah. It's like I'd like to understand... I mean, the whole spiel of the podcast is it's like the life stories behind the music that we love. It's like what headspace brought you to write this because the music and the art that we love comes from a human place. And I love knowing what that human place is. So it's like, yeah, why not dig into it? Um, I guess the next one we're going to go to is God's Lonely Man. And Mm -hmm. 
even though now we're starting to really get closer and closer to those like mask up like full-blown like flex tracks Mm -hmm. there's a lot of contrast and juxtaposition that i find comes through them for example like this one being like i'm god's lonely man but also being like i'm a god i'm a god there's again it's like this weird thing of like i'm better than everyone else yeah yeah. but also i'm really alone or i'm like person yeah i'm like yeah it's like a weird yeah this weird dichotomy especially right before manic man you know because it's sort of going with the same thing um and then, you know what's interesting is like when you're making these songs it's sort of like making puzzles with no direction you know and you have these like tiny puzzle piece and then two years later you'll have another puzzle piece and then maybe you had a puzzle piece from five years ago you forgot about right and at the end of the day like fucking like five years later you're like oh all these puzzle pieces make this big picture that i didn't even realize so when i was making it, i wasn't even thinking all this stuff right and then later you're like oh all these things that I did so intuitively, if I track list it in this way and do this, it makes this like really cohesive story, which is really cool. Yeah, it absolutely does. Um, I guess like, I mean, I know I just mentioned kind of these like two polarities, but like as we're getting into this sort of section of the record, like these characters of the like himbo and, and the lonely man, like what do they represent for you and what do they represent in this record? I think sometimes I'm still figuring it out, but the lonely man I always saw as this like gesture, which I had in the video too, where it's, um, it's a clown, but it's like a clown with a purpose and desperation where it's like, cause himbo is a clown and God's lonely man is a clown, but God's lonely man is like aware. You know what I mean? It's like, um, I don't know. I, growing up, um, I felt like I had a lot of guilt and I felt like I had a lot to do to take my family in a situation that was like more financially stable and prove myself and all this stuff. So I, I like that God's Lonely Man comes right before the himbo era because it's an explanation for why that happened. You know what I mean? Um, and it's also this weird thing about capitalism and ego, I think, because in the beginning, there's so many movies like like Citizens Kane or whatever, or like anything, any anybody that has ever tried to get their family out of a situation or tried to do good for themselves. You lose the plot, you know, you're like, oh, I'm doing this because um, I need to, I need to survive. And then you sort of become this like egotistical character, like, I, I don't know, like Wolf of Wall Street or like anything, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, I, I've definitely seen that. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm a generation down from your position mm-hmm. in that my grandparents were immigrants. Mm-hmm. All four of them immigrated from Italy right after World War II. We're all very working class. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of like their descendants especially i think i mean in canada i think it's easier to do this than in america because you know the system's at least marginally more balanced but like they all did well for themselves and knock on wood like nobody's turned into like a douchebag somehow i got very lucky in that sense but it means that like sometimes like you know like the neighborhoods that i i've lived in like i've seen those people the people Mm. who did lose that plot and who are like just absolute like yeah so up their own asshole yeah, for yeah, that. Yeah. and you know it, it might start off with like the survival like scarcity mindset and then mm-hmm. even when you have enough money to survive this like ego and this like need for expansion and growth like doesn't stop you know what yeah. i mean it's such such a like fragile and like jealous and petty thing which is like that middle part is so like i i know we're kind of teasing at it but like the middle part is maybe the most insecure part in the whole album you know 
I agree. It's that kind of very thin veil of yeah, yeah. I am better than you. Fuck all of yeah, you yeah, people. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. Often that stuff does come from a place of needing to protect Fully, yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Which I guess brings us to that section. Like this is where we get to like manic man. We've got himbo. We've got um petty as well bunny and riot i kind of categorized a little differently like still a little bit himboy but mm. there's something interesting i find different about them but we'll, we'll talk about that after yeah i'm curious to hear your categorization yeah i think i found that like himbo and petty like i said this is twelve thousand percent flex like yeah, it's yeah. it's not self-aware yeah, it's yeah, literally yeah. just again yeah like going all out whereas bunny and riot like they're still flex tracks they're still cocky but there's a little more of an awareness of what's going on around mm-hmm. them and also a little more animosity i find mm-hmm. like these ones are more like for example like bunnies i feel like it's it's like being surrounded by those exact people that mm-hmm. we were mentioning like those like the sheltered rich kids and mm-hmm. like the people that didn't have to work to get yeah. there and now you're in that position yeah and you're maybe living that same lifestyle yeah, yeah. but you're also aware that that's not where you come from yeah there's sort of like an outsider mentality around it yeah, yeah, yeah. and a bit of resentment i would even yeah. say too that's sick that's sick yeah um it's cool because a lot of times i don't even fully see it but intuitively like oh this makes sense here in the story and it's cool how you perceive it because it helps me understand my art even better. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, I, I, I'm I, glad. I appreciate it. Yeah. But yeah. It's interesting. So you kind of put Manic Man and Himbo in the same era. I was wondering w- what your thought process was behind that. I mean, Manic Man, not completely necessarily. I think it's kind of like the crossfade where we're getting to there. So yeah. actually, no, I'll, I'll switch out. Like Manic Man does actually feel a little more... So I'll correct myself a bit here. It does feel like like a like a manic high mm-hmm. kind of even just the speed of the song. Yeah, it's very yeah. much like I'm going to do everything, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Um, and just the way that that can kind of hit you sometimes. It's definitely perfectly the bridging moment and this like ego death is not the right word, but whatever the opposite of yeah, that is the that. birth of ego. Yeah, yeah. It's like because you go into God's Only Man where it's like, oh, I have to do this. Like I have to take care of my family. I have to be successful. And then manic man is like. It's so insecure that you start thinking you're God, you know, yeah. and then you become himbo. That's sort of what my mindset of that it's was. It's kind of the speed ramp yeah, up yeah, to yeah, himbo, exactly. if you think about it. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Even like, like you said, like, because God's Lonely Man had the little pieces of it. Yeah. Manic Man has it's a like, few more little pieces. And yeah, then the himbo, it's like so, I'm back. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like the introduction of this, like character almost like a superhero character i was gonna say it's like you know like the suit up montage and yeah Iron yeah, Man. yeah, yeah. Like, literally it's like this that. is the end where it's yeah like, it's bah! literally like that like, even the way that in the track it enters it's like um but you know yeah so i always saw it as like this like cheesy like super villain superhero character yeah i don't know why but now like both sailor moon and he-man are like popping wow up that's sick yeah <laughs> i think sailor moon it's because if you've ever seen like her little like transformation thing like, i used she, to watch like, when i was a kid yeah it's yeah, like same. this like very montage and she comes out and she's like Da-da! yeah yeah exactly like, that's it kind of feels it. like that's yeah but that but if you switch like this with pose himbo with but it's he-man yeah, yeah. <laughs> he-man as yeah. himbo um that's yeah that's kind of the energy that i'm getting um I guess this might be a bit of a deeper cut to like answer this to whatever level Mm -hmm. you you want to but like in the real world how do you grapple with this concept of the himbo i think it's a lot more internal um 
it comes out, but whenever it comes out, it's always bad. It's always insecure. Like I work my ass off to not let that happen. You know what I mean? Um, and it shows up and it's not always negative either. It's really fun. It's really confident. Like when I'm on tour, when I'm doing shows, like I have to put that on so I can survive, you know, when I'm at parties, when I'm doing business, I have to have that, you know, and it's sort of this like, and also the middle part is definitely like a commentary on masculinity too. It's very satire. And I say things in these songs that I would never say in real life. Yeah. I, I definitely clocked a few of those. Lines. Yeah. Like there's things that definitely make me cringe. I'm like, Oh, you know, but I always like, okay, this is a character. Like you yeah. have to commit to the bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's weird. I was hoping people would get that, I guess. Yeah, I think I did. Because, like, admittedly, you know, like, obviously, as a woman, like, yeah. your initial reaction is like, mm. yeah, yeah. But yeah. then when you think about it, it's like, that's kind of the point yeah, in this case. Yeah, 100%. Like, it's not supposed to be like, this is intentionally degrading. This is like, look at what this person can yeah. become. This is like the worst case yes. scenario. Okay, I'm so know? glad because you have noted that was my worst anxiety about the album. It's not even the songs about killing myself or my family. It was mm -hmm. like, I'm not a misogynist. This is like a character and this is satire. It's like, you know, when people watch Fight Club and they like romanticize the fucking guy, like you're not supposed to romanticize that guy. Yeah. That's like a part of the story. You know what yeah. I mean? I think that's such a tricky one. I mean, we can get into like a whole like moral discussion around that yeah. too. Like it's as, as a music fan, as a hip hop fan, it's something that I yeah. navigate too. But I do also appreciate that sometimes like again these things have to be part of commentary yeah. and i do hope and wish that more people would look at it more as its layer like obviously when it's like actual intentional misogyny yeah then it's like okay let's maybe not yeah, you know yeah, yeah but when it's it's this like you said like sometimes good art has to provoke to make you face it and, yeah, yeah and see it and be like yeah like this is what people can become or or this is a cautionary tale. Yeah. And you yeah. have to view it as that. Yeah. hundred percent. Like the shit I say in the middle section, I wouldn't like, I don't talk, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and some shit is real though. Like yeah. I do feel certain things, you know, but um, yeah, it's like a, the whole time I was making this album, I was like, this is a movie. This is a character. This is a plot line. Um, and I think sometimes with music, people don't fully understand that. Yeah. Um, but I think with the characters, with the track listing, I was trying to give as many hints as possible that like, okay, this is a story. This is not always real, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, again, I got that because it follows that arc. And I think there's also, as we're about to start to get towards the latter half of the album, there's a sense of things coming full circle because mm -hmm. like the mask is off at the beginning and the mask is off at the end yes, of the record 100%. too. Yeah. And we see the kind of crossfades like before we get to the middle section, like I said, we had God's Lonely Man, we had Manic Man, we had Star Killer that start to kind of show like yeah, again the, the origin mask coming in, yeah. And then now, as we kind of get out of of the himbo section of the record, we start to see it winding back down yeah, too. 100%. You know, like I said, even though I know that Bunny and Riot are part of of the himbo section. Again, even if it was unconscious, I was starting to clock like the little bits no, of self-awareness yeah, like, coming in more. Definitely. And now like we get to kind of really where the mask is starting to fall off properly, which is Death Keeps Calling 100%. My Name. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I love because Riot is the very climax. It's the most angry, most crazy. And the final dance move is like, doo -doo -doo, like fucking yeah. cocaine filled crazy party. That's what I was imagining. Just like maximalistic, you know. Um, 
But I love that you said that because even from Himbo, which is fully flexed, to Petty, which is like, oh, you know, there is this like level of insecurity. Bunny gets pretty insecure, you know, and it sounds charismatic and it sounds smooth and sexy, but it's like each verse is about how insecure I am, you know, and yeah. all the things that are happening. And uh, and Ride feels like sort of the climax of that section. And I love that I go to death right after because it's like, you know, it's, it's a hard crash. Yeah, yeah, 100 yeah, percent. Which I mean, you know, like I can speak to mental health stuff, not so much from that experience, but more like I, I have OCD and depression. Yeah. So I've also got to hang out with like the spicy mental health stuff yeah, as yeah, I'm yeah. lovingly <laughs> calling it. But like sometimes when you hit a low, it's not sometimes it can kind of slowly fall down but sometimes it's like you're on a high and then a lot of bam. times just, for me like i'm yeah. so it's literally that you yeah know? um yeah. yeah yeah it's a hard drop actually to be fair this is less of a crossfade than the first part of the record yeah, this yeah. is really like that i don't think there's any songs well maybe i'm wrong but i think riot and death are maybe the most opposite sonically one of the most I'd agree. It, yeah. Again, it's a hard shift, but I think that's kind of what yeah. works about it, yeah, you yeah. know? And then this, then the song after that, Peace and Quiet, I read it as this, and this might be me projecting my experience with mental health, but I'm really curious to know your take. I wonder if, like, sometimes, like, when you're a person that has a mental health disorder, you mm -hmm. kind of crave having a partner who's going to be, like, the calm, mm -hmm. the calming presence, like, who doesn't have what you're going through. Mm -hmm. Some of us also crave that sort of, like, co-trauma situation, but mm -hmm. I think, like, this one, it's, like, it just seems like whoever this other person you're singing about is, is either a source of calm or someone you're hoping is going to be a source mm -hmm. of calm. I think for this song, it wasn't super intentional thematic-wise, but it was more of a sonic choice because um, death always felt like this, like, really angsty, high, like, climatic, like, painful moment. And right after, and it's like, the same key. So when it goes into peace, um, it feels like sort of the come down from that in a sense. And the, the verse was, you know, um, about my life and stuff. But I think in a way it's sort of starting to shed the mask and become more vulnerable and leading up to something like American Dream, which is so honest and uncomfortable. But um, Peace and Quiet was definitely one that fully didn't fit the idea of the American Dream and this character. But I think it did in a sense that it was talking about my family and my loved ones. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, there's definitely a lot of love in that song. And even on Birthday, I mean, Birthday's... It, that one does seem like maybe it's someone that you're not as in touch with anymore, mm -hmm. but there is still like a presence of love. Yeah, I think for some of these songs, like Peace and Quiet and Birthday specifically, it was less of um, like a thematic choice, but more of a feeling and sonic mm -hmm. choice. Like Peace and Quiet, I made with my friend Tino, like my best friend from college, 2020. Birthday, I made in 2020 with my friend Audrey, who's they're both from North Carolina, just like my actual friends, you know? And I just held them so close because it felt so personal and yeah i don't know it's so weird because it feels right but i can't articulate why you know what i mean you know like, what i could see it maybe it's because even though the lyrics themselves aren't personal the the fact that these are made with people yeah. that you're friends with that you maybe that you made before like everything yeah. like, exploded to the degree it feels like home Ex yeah like it. these last two songs feel like home because I literally made it in my mom's house, you know? So to go from this whole journey, this climax, this ego, all of this, to literally come back to my, like, two best friends from North Carolina that we just made 
for fun. And like peace and quiet at the end is my friend Audrey telling me like, hey, when you go to LA, like I'll miss you, blah, blah, blah. And then it's Audrey right after. I think that's why. Like the theme isn't necessarily in the lyrics, but it's the sound and the actual real life story behind it. Yeah. Which is and cool. I'm glad I talked. Mu- I figured out what it was in this conversation. I love that stuff. There's another interview I did recently where we were talking about this idea of things that like that just feel right. Like even me, like is I I'm definitely someone who loves to try and rationalize things. But the more I've, you know, listened to music and even talked to with artists, sometimes you realize like, yes, the lyrics and the stories you can tell in the lyrics can be super important. But sometimes mm-hmm. it's it's the way that the song makes you feel or it's the context of of when you made a song yeah. or or just the way something sounds that evokes a certain emotion yeah and it doesn't always have to be as tangible as we want it to be yeah you know 100 percent. and I, i'm like i started off producing like i was producing for years before i ever sang or whatever like that's my favorite thing so a lot of times when i listen to music i don't listen to lyrics actually like I, as much as i care about my lyrics and my themes and my ideas when I listen to music, it's purely sonic and mood-based. Um, so I think a lot of decisions here were made based on that. Like, Petty and Bunny have this, like, blue color, you know? Um, Starkiller, I love the contrast because it's yellow right after this, like, evening inner child. So a lot of times I would choose it based on sonics and colors, and then I would sort of justify the meaning, but it would still make sense because the sonics and the feelings yeah. made sense. Do you have synesthesia? Because I noticed you mentioned colors. I think um, it's weird. I don't know, like, because people talk about it. I think maybe, but I think it's more so just working in different mediums over time. Because um, I don't think I had that when I was a kid. But I think since I was 14, I was doing graphic design production and directing videos and then singing, rapping, fucking track listing. So I think you have to sort of learn to work between all of them because all of it is just emotion at the end of the day, you know? Um so maybe, maybe not. I don't know, you know? <laughs> I get it. I mean, I I don't maybe do things to the level that you do, but I like, you know, like I dabble in interior design. I do this. I, I don't make a lot of music, but I do it for fun sometimes. Uh-huh. I do a little bit of graphics for my stuff. And one thing I've learned is there's a lot of concepts that overlap. Like, yeah. for example, the concept of negative space yeah. is really important in sound as much as it is in visual art mm-hmm. and dance like in terms of where you pause and whatever yeah 100 percent. and so i could see what you mean in that sense it's like these sort of things start to bleed into each 100%. other like every time i do something new it's so weird but it all fits in and this is gonna kind of get an tangent but like if you're studying math it can help music if you're studying history it can help art there's so much things that go into it like this album was so inspired because i came to la i went to live shows for the first time because growing up i didn't go to shows, I didn't go on tour, nothing. Um, and then the pandemic happened when um, my stuff blew up, right? So for the first time when I came here, I went to live shows and I realized where to put the negative space, where this happens, where what happens, transitions. So that helped the album a lot. But that's sort of a thing, a tangent. But yeah, everything you do bleeds over, you know? Yeah, no, I think it is. it totally makes sense to talk about this. I don't think it's as much of a tangent that's outside of it as you yeah. think. But even with that, I think we will get to the final song because, I mean, Inner Child is extremely personal. But once again, with the closing track, mm-hmm. it is extremely personal. It's, yeah. I think it's, you know, it's dealing with, you know, your upbringing, 
I don't know. I feel like I've I've heard this from uh, whether it be from my own like parents and stuff or from other children of immigrants. But sometimes you feel like you're kind of the hope of the family. Yeah, hundred percent. Like you're the absolutely. one who's got to make it. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like they got you here. Yeah. And now you got to do the thing. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and I feel like that definitely comes up a little bit. Hundred percent. That's actually like pretty much the idea of the album, at least the inception of it when I was a kid just this like immense guilt and pressure you feel whether or not it's spoken or not but you internalize or i did at least and i know a lot of other immigrants did too is like as soon as we moved when i was 10 you know i saw my family leave everything behind their home their careers their friends their community purely for us you know i always knew this was for our future um and just seeing all the sacrifices they made socially financially that is a lot to take in when you're 10 and I don't know if it's maybe because I'm a sensitive kid or something, because I don't think my brother took it in the same way, even though he's five years younger. But I carry that like immense guilt and shame for years, you know, for decades. Um, and it didn't help because, you know, I um, find out now that I'm bipolar, but I definitely was struggling immensely with suicide and not being social and not being good in school and stuff at one point when I became a teenager and it sort of started affecting my life. And it was just this like immense immigrant guilt. So that American Dream song is like, that was called Bad Son at one point, but that is the song that I've been trying to make since I was 10 before I ever made a song, you know? That desperation, that anger, that like guilt and shame. Um, I don't know, I don't think, I've never heard a song like that and I don't think I've ever made a song like that. And. Um, I was so anxious to put it out. That was the most anxiety. Like I would wake up in the morning and be like, what is my mom going to think? What is my brother going to think? What are people going to think? Is it too melodramatic? Is it too crazy? Is it too desperate? But what's crazy is, you know, um, everybody's favorite is that. Like now that it's come out, you know, um, I was so surprised because people are patient. People are smart. People get the ideas. People get the themes. People wait through the whole album to get to this like six minute song with no drums, no choruses, just pain, you know? Um, it's incredible because I think w the reason I sort of had the middle section in a way was thematic, but also a fear of commercial failure because I knew, yeah, you can play himbo even if you don't like the themes. You can play petty, whatever, right? But you don't put on American Dream when you're going to a party in the car. Or you might share, you might not share it with people, but people are getting it, you know, which is really cool. Yeah. Well, I will tell you this, if this brings you any reassurance. One of the episodes that I see, if I look into like the statistics of the podcast, that repeatedly, even though it's been out for a couple years, gets the most listens is an episode that was particularly vulnerable. And like all of the songs on that record are like, in at the level of vulnerability that American Dream is at. And I think mm. that the reason why so many people listen is because it makes people feel seen. Yeah. And so if there's other people that have heard American Dream, whether it be other people that are just trying to impress their parents, other people with, whether it be bipolar disorder or another mental health issue, whether it be immigrant kids. Just anything. Yeah. You know, it's so like, I was, um, sorry for interrupting. By no, the way. Go. I was going through like music that inspired the album today. And I sort of went back to um, Kevin Abstract's, I think it's called American Boyfriend, which was, I really enjoyed. And also like Frank Ocean Channel Orange and a lot of stuff. And I was like, oh, there's a lot of like gay artists here. You know, a lot of it is about um, coming out and 
them dealing with this pain. And I, I don't think I necessarily ever experienced that specific issue to that degree. But I always related so much, you know. And I think it's the same way where I'm like, I'm talking about being bipolar. I'm talking about being an immigrant. But everybody in every walk of life feels that pain and shame and guilt. And the specifics make it more universal. Bad Sun is available now wherever you normally get your music. This podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by myself, Sophia Lopercaro. And the artwork is by Meg Welford.